So glad you're here. We're going to begin a new um, series today about things you should know about God. And really, today we're talking about one of the most important things that you'll ever need to understand about God, and that is He wants to be our friend. So there's a sort of dual message in Scripture, if, if, you're, if you read it. There's sort of the, you need to reverence God, and you need to, um, He's holy, and He's different than us, and and so there's kind of this, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we hear that language sometimes. And so how does that then relate to the, uh, kind of the other ideas that God wants to be our friend? And so we're going to look at that part of it today. And I, I think about my own relationship with my dad. So when I'm younger, when I'm immature, uh, I had a relationship with my father. And that relationship was, it was complex, you know, I... I respected him. In some ways, I feared him. I, you know, somebody one time said, did you ever talk back to your dad? I said, yeah, once. Uh, it didn't take more than once, you know. And then I, I knew not to do that anymore. So there was that aspect of it. But then it morphed into something else. And I don't really remember when it happened. I don't remember if there was a day where I could say, oh, well, that's when now I'm not, you know, just uh, in this relationship. It, it kind of became a friendship, and I remember dad, you know, once I got a little older, he would ask my opinion and he would uh, care what I had to say. And my dad was the kind of guy that would always pay for the check. So if we go out to dinner, he'd always pay for the check, even when I had kids. And I remember knowing I had arrived when um, he let me pick up the check one time. And it's like, oh, okay, so now we're, now we're kind of equal. And I appreciated that. And so a relationship can develop. And God talks about, wanting to be our friend in Scripture. And so I do think there's an element of, I always still respected my dad, and I always, you know, when I was a teenager, I kind of misjudged him, but I always respected him, but that didn't mean I couldn't be his friend. I think it's the same thing with God. Now, when we're talking about friendship, there's a kind of the question on the table is, what, what are the qualities of a true friend? And I did a little research on this, and there are some good answers. One answer I found I really liked was this one. Um, I think part of best friend's job should be to immediately clear your computer history uh, once you die. So um, it's kind of uh, eliminate the evidence. But the, there was a British publication that did a, a kind of a, a, a contest to see who could give them the best definition of a friend. And I really like this one. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Uh, back in the 80s, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a guy named Jim Baker. Remember Jim Baker? And he had the PTL Club or some, something on television. And he had a wife, um, Tammy Faye. She kept the uh, cosmetic industry in business and uh, uh, single-handedly, man. She, uh, she, she had a lot, a lot of makeup. Um, and they had a kind of a religious empire, and all of a sudden that all came crashing down. And there were some tax evasion issues, I think. I, I didn't do research on this, so I'm sorry. I'm not giving you all the details. But... Uh, Jim Baker eventually went uh, to prison, went to, went to jail for a while. And he was in, I think, for a few years. And when he came out, uh, Billy Graham and his wife asked Jim to come live with them. And I just always thought, you know, I kinda, I'm kind of a Billy Graham fan, I always kind of was, but my, my word, that to me was like, that's, that's what this is. That's the one everybody else kind of kicked Jim Baker to the curb, and maybe rightfully so. But there was a friend who stuck with him when it was difficult to stick with him. In Proverbs, there's a verse around that. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. 
If we were to take uh, an opportunity to say, okay, uh, I need five people to come up and give a testimony of having companions that led you to ruin, most of us have some folks in our lives that we shouldn't have run with, right? I mean, we all, we all have that. Uh, um, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and he's talking about God. Now, the, the reason I know about uh, having the wrong kind of friends and running with the wrong people, my daddy, who I mentioned a minute ago, uh, quoted this verse to me about a thousand times growing up, uh, bad company corrupts good character. I have three verses memorized in Scripture, and this is one of them. I mean, it is, I, I heard it over and over and over again, uh, bad company corrupts good character. So I did this little poll on Facebook. Hey, what does it take? In fact, the question is, if you had a chance to meet and become friends with somebody, who would it be? And the answers were interesting, I guess. Um, Presidents Trump and Obama kind of headed the list. Um, Here's some others. Elon Musk, probably interesting to know. Kanye West would be interesting to know. Um, Tony Tony Dungy, who is a former football uh, coach and Great Christian. Uh, Tony Evans, great pastor. Francis Chan, also great pastor. Michelle Obama, Ellen, uh, Melania and Ivanka Trump, Sylvester Stallone, Adam Sandler, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Chip and Joanna Gaines, my favorite, Elvis. Uh, So, um, that's funny. He'll come to you in a minute because I'm pretty sure he did. But anyway, this whole idea of there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. God wants to be that us. God wants to be your friend. And I don't know if you realize how amazing that is. This is the creator of the universe. Of of all things, the master of time, space, and dimension. He knows everything about you. And he still wants to be your friend. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. There's a professor at Arizona State University who did some research around what does it look like to be a friend? What, What What are the aspects of friendship that people are looking for? And mostly it was companionship. It was doing stuff together. And then he makes this comment at the end, they make us feel that we matter. That's really a great definition. They make us feel like we matter. Now, if you ever question that you matter to God, then the question was resolved on the cross. Jesus put it this way. He said, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you ever question God's love for you, all you have to do is look at the cross. Jesus was willing to die for you. And so we know that we can be his friend. I think I told you a few weeks ago about my daughters. We had moved from Kentucky to Michigan and... uh, we did it in the summer, and so they were about to start a new school. It was fall, and Amaris, my oldest, was going into the 10th grade, and uh, we had one going into the 8th grade, one going into the 6th grade, so two into middle school, one into high school, and they sat around the kitchen table the night before school started, and they cried because they didn't know who they were going to sit with at lunch the next day. They didn't have any friends. And I don't know if you can resonate with that, but have you ever been to a place where you don't know anybody and you kind of don't feel like you're part of what's going on. Sometimes, occasionally, it used to be where you could go to conferences, and I would go to a conference, and there would be churches, and they would bring their whole team, and I would be there by myself, and they kind of all had people, and I was alone. And I don't care. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. That really doesn't bother me very much, but it's still kind of uncomfortable. When everybody else has somebody and you don't have anybody, that's pretty uncomfortable. 
And yet there's this, there's this amazingly warm verse in Scripture where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. It's basically God saying, sit at my table. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. It's a beautiful verse. We will share a meal together as friends. Tomorrow morning you wake up and there's a gold embossed envelope with an invitation to be Oprah's friend or anybody else's friend. It will not be any better. In fact, it pales in comparison to this invitation. God wants to be your friend. Now, I can anticipate some pushback. Well, that's for some people, but it's not for me. Well, yeah, it is for you. In fact, one of the most amazing things to me, and I can't quite get my mind off of the story of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Everybody hated him. Tax collectors, on their job description, number one is you got to be a jerk. I mean, they were jerks to people. They were horrible. They stole they had to kind of they were manipulative that's how they got the job in the first place they took more than they were supposed to they were they were it was like the sopranos i mean they were going to shake you down for as much money as they could everybody hated the tax collectors and jesus calls matthew a tax collector to come be one of his disciples and as soon as he does it matthew organizes a meal for jesus to meet all his rowdy friends look 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 while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, two different groups, both really, really bad people, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The very first thing Matthew did was throw a party. The very first thing Jesus did upon making a new friend was go. If we were, the only people here that look bad are the religious people, the Pharisees. It's like, they're the ones who say, well, why is Jesus hanging out with such disreputable folks? Read the story of Zacchaeus. The exact same thing happens. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, meets Jesus. Jesus changes his life. Zacchaeus throws a party. That's what happens. And Jesus always goes to the party. What that means is, Jesus is a man of his word. And when he says, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I'll come in. All you got to do is open the door. There's no qualifier to this. There's none. It doesn't say if you go to church six weeks in a row, I'll come in. It doesn't say if you get your act together, I'll come in. It doesn't say if you have uh, everything going your way, I'll come in. It doesn't say if you're a good religious person, I'll come in. It just says, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. And then it says... Uh, I will come in and we will share a meal. And the meal he's talking about is the evening meal. I think here in South Carolina, y'all call that um, supper, right? The evening meal supper? David, you would know. You're Southern. Okay, uh, supper. We're a little more sophisticated in Kentucky. We call it dinner, uh, but that's okay. We're noted for our sophistication in Kentucky. Uh, but dinner, supper, I think they're kind of synonymous. But this is the evening meal, and what they're talking about is this is the meal where not only do you eat, but then you linger. You, you hang out. You know, those kind of meals where you have something to eat, and then uh, the, the host will say, well, y'all are going to stay a while, right? Well, yeah, we're going to stay a while. And so you, you chop it up like real folk. You know, you go out on the back porch. 
You have a, some iced tea, maybe in the winter you have a little coffee, maybe a little, little pound cake, because you don't want cheesecake, because that's horrible. Uh, you have pound cake, or uh, if, if God is smiling on you, you might get a chocolate chip cookie, you know, but you, but you don't eat it all at once, no. You, you have your meal, and then you go linger, you linger. And then the hostess or host would say, well, do you, would you like a little dessert? You know, yeah, I'd like a little dessert. So then you go, and that, that's the meal he's talking about. It's a hanging out meal, right? That's the, uh, at, at some point, you've got to let them know it's time to go home meal. You know, that's, that, that kind of happens. I don't know how you do that at, at your house. I just go, I say, well, I'm going to bed. Uh, but uh, uh, at some point, that's the lingering meal. Uh, the beauty of that verse is, it's for everybody. The invitation's open to anybody. And it's not just formal. <laughs> Have you ever been to a formal dinner? They got forks at the top of the plate. I mean, you, how many forks you need? I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm simple. Give me a fork and a knife and I'm good to go. Uh, in fact, I don't even need a knife. Uh, I got fingers. I can scoop it up on there. Um, it's not formal. This isn't an invitation to a formal dinner. You're not going to meet with the queen. This is Jesus saying, hey, you know what? We can hang out. We can hang out. Now, I talked about relationships developing. Well, let me show you a verse about that. In fact, the, the Bible uses the metaphor of how children grow. L look at this. Milk is for beginners. Babies take milk. They can't take, you know, solid food yet. Uh, for a while, they take milk. Uh, milk is for beginners, just like spiritually. There's a time in our lives where we just become a Christian, and we can't take the, the deeper stuff. And so we, we settle for maybe a, a little less deep relationship. Inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food, we get weaned off milk. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. Now... When you enter a relationship with the Lord, you, you, don't, you don't have to have a mature relationship. My, my relationship with my dad could have just always been kind of surfacy, but it, it didn't stay there. I didn't want it to stay there. It didn't stay there. You can stay here if you want to in your relationship with God. You can start it and then just not ever develop it. That's your choice. It's not a good choice, but you can choose that. I mean, that's something that you can do. Do you remember... This is really interesting to me. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, I think it's verse 8. This is when Adam and Eve had just sinned. And it says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. When is that? It's evening, right? They had a, God and Adam and Eve have a relationship. God had come over for pound cake. I mean, it's not in the text, but I'm pretty sure that's, how, that's what he's talking about. That he came to visit, like, like friends. Cool a day. It was supper time. It was dinner time. It was evening. He was going to hang out. No rituals. No rules. No regulations. Just relationship. That's just all it was. Just a relationship. Now, you know as well as I do, relationships can get strained. Can go stale a little bit. I heard about this couple. They'd been married... 40 years, 45 years. He had just retired. 
he was driving on her last nerve. I mean, uh, they were at home together all the time, and he was just driving her crazy, and she was driving him crazy. And it was just, they were just not, they were not happy with one another. And he got a big fight, and he gets in the car, and he goes down to the convenience store, and he steals a can of peaches. Comes home, cracks open the peaches, he starts eating the peaches. She said, where'd you get those peaches? Because she knew she hadn't bought the peaches. He said, well, I went down to the store and I stole them. She called the police on him. Police come, they arrest him. He stands before the judge, and the judge says, Sir, how many peaches were in that can? And he said, Well, Your Honor, there were six. And the judge says, Okay, to teach you a lesson, you're going to spend six days in jail. And the wife raised her hand and said, He also stole a can of peas. (laughs) That's gold. I'm sorry, that's funny right there. Relationships can go south on you if you're not careful. So, you have to keep it fresh. I mean, I get all that. But I want to show you one of the most remarkable verses in Scripture. It's found in Romans. Now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, this ever-maturing relationship, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I don't know anybody famous. I don't know nobody famous. Never met anybody famous. In preacher world, there are some pastors that are kind of known, and I guess that's the closest thing. I mean, I, I kind of—I mean, I met Rick Warren one time. That's kind of a big deal, I guess. But there's a guy in Kentucky in Louisville has a big church called Southeast Christian. His name was Bob Russell. He retired recently. Great, he's really, really good. And Bob Russell was the pastor of a church that ran about twenty thousand. I mean, it's huge. The, the building—they had built a new building, and it seated seven thousand two hundred people. The church building seated seven thousand people. Third largest arena in the state behind where Kentucky plays basketball and Louisville plays basketball. So, I don't know Bob Russell, but there's a guy in my church in Bergen, Kentucky. I'm in Bergen. Bergen's a town of about 1,200 people. It's really, really small. But there's a guy in my church who knows Bob Russell. And so one Sunday he came up to me and he said, Hey man, you want to go? I'm going to have lunch with Bob Russell this week. You want to go? I was like, yeah. I didn't know Bob Russell, but I knew somebody that knew Bob Russell. It's kind of like this verse. I can be a friend of God because I know Jesus who has a connection. (laughs) He's our connection. He is our ticket, if you will, to friendship. Jesus put it this way. I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. We're friends. Jesus wants to be our friends. And the word he's using there isn't just a casual friend. That's the word he uses when he says, I call you friends. It's like you're, you're, be, you're best man quality friends. You're, when, when we get married, you're standing up with us. You're part of the wedding party. You're that kind of friend. Not, not an acquaintance, not a Facebook friend. How many Facebook friends do y'all have? I mean, I got, I got Facebook friends. I don't know who they are. I don't know. I don't remember them. I must have known them in Michigan or New Mexico. And I, I, sometimes I'll, something will come up on Facebook. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. This isn't the friendship he's talking about. He's not talking about somebody you don't know. He's talking about a very close, intimate friendship. When I was first going to seminary, um, seminary is like grad school, so I would gotten my bachelor's degree, I'm going to grad school, I met my wife there, and I, I just, 
I just, if you want to develop a relationship, it takes two things. You have to have effort and you have to take time. It's the same thing if you want to develop a relationship with God. It takes effort and it takes time. And I could just tell Miriam was going to be somebody I wanted to be around. And so, I mean, I don't know if, if you all have met my wife. She's just elegant. She's got an elegant kind of a glow. And it's, I don't, I mean, maybe that was it or maybe it was, I mean, she's calm. She's always calm. She is unflappable. And I love that about her. I might get all tense. She never gets upset. She has this nurturing personality. I love that about her. And, and mostly it's because she's one of the only people that would say yes to a date. Uh, so uh, that's not even true. Now listen, when I met Miriam, she was dating somebody else. And then when she got a load of this, I mean, it's like, she's like, I want some of that. And so uh, uh, she's not here today, by the way. Uh, I'd like to make note of that. So uh, we could kind of keep this beside, between ourselves. That would be great. All right, so. But I remember I wanted to... I wanted to if I want a relationship, it takes effort and it takes time. And I remember we were first starting to date, and I would drive by where she works, and I would find her car, and I would leave a little note under the windshield wiper. We call that stalking today, uh, but back in the day, that was awesome. You know, that was how you did it. Uh, it took time, and it takes effort. And so, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. So let me tell you a couple things. You know, I'm going to keep it real simple today. If I want to develop a friendship with God, number one, the first key is conversation. And again, I don't have many verses memorized. I can memorize this one. Pray continually. Now, we think to ourselves, well, if I'm going to pray, I'm going to you know, bow my head and I've got to close my eyes and I can't pray while I'm driving and all that stuff. Let me tell you about a guy. His name uh, was Nicholas Herman. Nicholas Herman was 30 years old. He kind of had it with the rat race. This was about three or 400 years ago. And he just decided he was going to be a monk. So he, he's a French guy, and he goes to a monastery, and he's a cook. So he's a French friar. Think about it. Uh, anyway, anyway. That's gold. I'm sorry, that's good stuff. Anyway, he, he goes to the monastery, and all he does is he is a cook. He, he's peeling potatoes, making stew, you know, he's cooking. He cooks, he mends shoes. So he makes cobbler, and he is a cobbler. Uh, he does both things. And then he cleans toilets. That's all he does the rest of his life. He goes to the monastery, and that's all he does. And you'd never have heard of, of him, except he developed um, a practice in his life of sort of this continual conversation with God. He, he, in fact, once he died, they collected some of his writings, and they uh, compiled it into a book called um, Practicing the Presence of God. His, kind of his pen name, or the name he started to go by, was Brother Lawrence. You may have heard of him. I read this book the other day. It's really short. The practice of the presence of God. I'll save you the time. Go look up all his quotes. About 10, 15, 20 quotes. All the good stuff is in the quotes. But Brother Lawrence developed this habit of thinking about God. Let me, let me show you a quote. I've abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. Getting down on my knees, putting my hands together, closing my eyes. Abandoned it. My only prayer practice is attention. Here, here's what's really funny about that. 
Sometimes we'll do the technique and not give him the attention. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but I know some of us in this room have prayed a blessing on our food and never thought about what we prayed? I've done it. Sometimes I do it in mid-bite. You know, it's like I'm already eating. I, oh, I'm supposed to pray. I forgot. So he says, I've given all the techniques away. My only practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. He just talks to God. You realize, right, that God is always near? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but there are sometimes there are places, and I feel like I'm closer to God in certain places than others. For me, it's the, it's the mountains. I love the mountains. I know you're not supposed to do this, but I like to hike by myself in the mountains because it's just you, no headphones, you, the wind in the trees, you hear them kind of creaking, that's cool, you hear birds, you, you smell the smells, it just feels like God is right there because there's not a lot of noise. And I don't mean like traffic noise, I mean noise of the world, like noise in my head. For some of you, it's the ocean, you like to go to the ocean. You feel connected to God because of the vastness of the water and, and the, the pounding of the surf. And it just feels like God is there. Jesus, after he was baptized, it says he was led into the wilderness. Think of that terrain a lot like when we lived in New Mexico. New Mexico was, I loved it because it was just vast. And you could go miles and miles and miles and miles and never see anything. It, it was Rocks and scrub grass and sage and a few cactus and nothing. Moses went to the desert. He saw the burning bush in the wilderness. I mean, I think it speaks to the fact that sometimes we need to unplug in order to hear God's voice. Really interesting to me. The last, uh, I, I try to listen to books um, Regular, regularly, I try to listen to one a week. And so the last three books I've listened to all had the same message. Slow down, unplug, listen to God. Um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, it's a book by John Mark Comer. Great. The message is slow down, unplug, listen to God. I think, well, that's interesting. Next book I read is a book by John Ortberg called God is Closer Than You Think. It's kind of an older book. John Mark Comer's book is new. Ortberg's book is older. In fact, John Mark Comer quotes Ortberg in his book. So I read Ortberg's book, God's Closer Than You Think. The message is simple. Unplug, uh, slow down, you can hear God. I'm like, gosh, I mean, God might be trying to tell me something. The third book I read is one by John Eldridge. I don't remember the name of it. Same message. If you'll slow down, if you'll stop all the activity... You can hear God's voice. Isn't that what happens when we go on a spiritual retreat? Isn't that what happens when kids go off to youth camp? They get away from everything, right? And I used to love going to youth camp, and I used to love to see, see what happened with kids at youth camp because I would be thinking, man, they're, they're making life change today at youth camp. But my first question was always, I hope they can, can, uh, they can sustain it when they come home. When I go off to a retreat, I, I love getting close to God, but I, I know this is not routine. Can I do it in the routine? And what Brother Lawrence learned to do was even in the routine of life, 
he was able to think about God. We, we can all pray. I mean, anybody can pray anytime. There's no special place. There's no special time. Anybody can pray anytime. In the Rose Bowl Parade a few years ago, there was this beautiful float. You know, it's New Year's Day, Rose Bowl Parade. New, it was beautiful. It ran out of gas. What was really interesting is it was the Standard Oil Company's float. It's really funny if you think about it. So we are Christians and we seem to want to do everything on our own and not tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and God in our lives. It doesn't take any special language and it doesn't take any special place. Just that takes some practice. When you were learning to drive a car, you had to think about everything. Uh, Elise is about to learn. She's 14, you know, we're, talk, we're starting to talk about it a little bit. So I'm saying, all right, when you enter the intersection, this is what you look at. So I'm already starting to get her to think about driving because you have to think about everything. And so the first question, you know what 101 is in a car? Which is the brake and which is the gas? It's 101. You got to know that. That's really, really important. It's not everything, but it's something. You have to think about everything. I, I, I drive a stick shift. You want to know what you have to think about when you drive a stick shift? Which gear should you be in, right? If you, when you first learn, it's like, okay, am I in first or third or fifth? I don't know where I am. I don't know where this is. Miriam, the other day, got in my car. She hadn't driven a stick shift in probably 30 years, and she killed it. I mean, not, not the car, but uh, she drove great. She drove great. She's really, really smart. And, and it's like that, right? When, when you learn it, you don't have to relearn it. If we would slow down, and, and, and by that I mean... Like short prayers. Things, hey, this is stuff I'm thankful for. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for this. It doesn't have to even be anything big. Um, recently, we, we moved further away from the church. And so at lunch, I used to go home and eat and then come back. And now I can't do that. It's a little bit too far. And so uh, I buy frozen dinners. Uh, I hadn't bought frozen dinners in a long time. The last frozen dinners I had bought was probably 30 years ago. And they uh, were horrible. It was fried chicken that once you unfroze it, uh, tasted like rubber. I mean, it was horrible. I remember thinking, uh, it was horrible and greasy. It's like, okay, if it's going to be greasy, at least let it be good. It's, it was neither. Nowadays, everybody's health conscious. Here's what I love, and I thank Jesus for this every day. Everybody being health conscious means they make these meals without cheese on them. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, I am thankful I can find something to eat. You ever thankful for finding something to eat? Man, I am. Now, you, you go, well, that's not very spiritual. No, eating is spiritual. Uh, it's pretty spiritual. I'm happy to eat, you know. So, what things are you finding that you could be thankful for? Uh, <laughs> there's stuff every place to be thankful for. If you're ever on Wade Hampton and you catch a green light, you ought to be thankful. Because that happens, that's rare, that's a gift from God. You get in a line and it's... Have you ever gotten in a line that looks longer, but you go faster? That is from God. And uh, you should thank God. I mean, we can do this if we want to. Ultimately, we are as close to God as we want to be. Look at this verse. This is a great verse. God says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. A few weeks ago, we used a verse from Acts that said, God is not far from any of us. He is here. Have you ever seen a parent and they're on their phone and their child is trying to talk to them? 
And you think, how sad is that? And it is sad. God is right here. And we are so busy. We don't even take time. But we can. It's possible. All we have to do is give Him some attention. So number one, we, we enter in the conversation. We just have a conversation with God. The second one is meditation. And that word, when we see the word meditation, you think of Gandhi, you know, and, and a guy sitting crisscross applesauce and having his fingers like this and going, Om. That's not exactly what meditation is. Meditation is simply um, focused thinking. Have you ever worried about anything? You know what worry is? Worry is focused thinking. I think about the same thing over and over again. That's what worry is. Well, meditation is the exact same thing, except it's not thinking of something negative. Can I think of something positive? And so I read my Bible, and I see a verse. And look, get one of those verse of the day apps on your phone, and maybe that would be the one that's like, I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to think about it. And the Bible talks about guys who were friends of God. One of them was Job. Well, you want to know why he was a friend of God? I've not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He thought about it. It's called dwelling. David put it this way. How I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. Always thinking about them. See, I used to think I had to read a lot of scripture in order to be godly. Now I think I have to read less scripture, but think about it a lot. You're thinking, okay, well, I don't have time to dwell. Yeah, you do. We do what we want to do. You want to know where you dwell? Okay, dwell in the shower. Think about a verse in the shower. Dwell uh, in the bathroom. We all have to go to the bathroom. You can dwell. You don't have to take, <laughs> you don't have to take your phone in there. Just saying. Uh, in fact, maybe you shouldn't. Um, dwell at the traffic light. You don't have to look at your phone when you're at the red light. Dwell while you're in line. When was the last time you were in line and you didn't pull out your phone to look at it? It is almost like we feel like weirdos. It's like I'm standing in a line. I, I, am, I am really trying hard to discipline myself. But I'm looking around everybody's got their phone out. You don't have to. I can dwell on God. Any, it's my choice, but anywhere. I can dwell on God right before bed. I've told you all this before. I, do, I try to do this every day. I think of five things I'm thankful for every day. Man, when you're my age, you're thankful yet through the day. You know, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you that it's going my way. Thank you that, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't hurt right now. You're young, you don't think that way. But when you get older, it's kind of how you think. Be thankful for a lot of things. Every meal. When's the last time you thank God for a sunset or a sunrise? When's the last time, man? I woke up this morning, I walked outside, it was so cold. But I walked outside and I could hear a woodpecker way off. That's a sweet sound, man. When's the last time you were thankful for that stuff? We don't notice it because we are so overwhelmed with noise. I don't just mean physically. It's just like stuff and stuff and stuff. And I want to pray and thank God before I go to bed because if I look at Twitter or if I look at the news, that's not a sedative. It's not good for your spirit, man. 
I can dwell at lunch. Because here's the truth of the matter. We all dwell. You can dwell on a problem. You dwell on a relationship. You dwell on a TV show. You dwell on a ball game. I mean, I think about stuff like that. We all dwell. Meditating is simply taking the time to really think about what God is saying. One more quote from Brother Lawrence. Look at that scenery, by the way. Isn't that awesome? The key to friendship with God is not changing what we do, but changing our attitude about what we do. A cat that can peel potatoes and talk to Jesus, that's a guy I want to try to be like. If every mundane thing in your job might not be mundane, you might say, well, I really have to think. Okay, okay, okay. But there are mundane things in your life. I just gave you a list. Think about God then. Remember at the beginning of the message I talked about, hey, a good friend, a great friend, a close friend, a best friend will delete your, um, your, your history, your computer history, your search history. Well, look at this text because it kind of does that. Jesus, he canceled the record of our charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You don't need a best friend. In fact, you have a best friend that's already done that for you. He's already wiped your slate clean. Have you ever had a friendship that was kind of one-sided? You know, you're always the one initiating the contact. You're always the one making the first contact, that kind of thing. In this verse, Jesus makes the first move. I stand at the door and knock. He's making the first move. He wants to have a relationship with you. Not through ritual, not through religion. He just wants to have a relationship with you. So the question for the day is, what are you waiting for? Don't wait until you get to be 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 years old and you think, man, I wasted my life on playing video games, watching stupid YouTube, looking at the <laughs> Facebook all day long. Don't, don't do that. It's a waste of your life. Don't do that. Father, we're thankful that you give us an opportunity to be your friend. It's kind of remarkable. It's sort of unbelievable. I mean, you know everything. You know everything about us. And yet you still want to be our friend. It is an amazing thing, and I thank you for it. And I pray, God, that we would accept the invitation. Maybe some of us are still kind of in that infancy of our relationship with you. Lord, help us to grow and mature and get closer to you. So this week, I pray, God, that we would be disciplined enough to put down our phones and put down our tablets and put down our computers and turn off the television and just be with you. Lord, this is my prayer for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.